Let me ask you a personal question. How do you feel about your failures? How do you really, really feel about the times in life where you've blown it? Every one of us has a past, don't we? We all have experiences in our past we'd rather no one know about or hear about, quite frankly. I know I do. I'll bet you do as well. You know, I think we like that biblical character, Simon Peter. We like him so much. He is one of the most popular characters in the Bible. And I think we like him because we can identify so much with his failures. This story from Matthew's gospel today begins with Jesus giving a warning to the disciples in the upper room. I'm reading now from Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, why did Jesus say that? I mean, doesn't that sound kind of pessimistic and gloomy to you? Well, Jesus knew that the pressure of the next 24 hours would be more than the disciples could really stand. And I I think he wanted to prep them a little bit for that. But as you read on, it seems that Peter was a bit offended by Jesus' suggestion. I'm reading now in verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Simon Peter is kind of talking a big game here. He's talking kind of boastfully. The question is, can he back it up? And in response, Jesus gives a specific prediction to Peter that kind of becomes the backdrop for today's message. Verse 34, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. When he said that, I think Peter really meant it. I I think he was ready to stand with Jesus and fight with Jesus and fight for Jesus. But Peter was a bit naive about how intense his temptation would become in, in really just a matter of hours. We skip on ahead here to verse 69. And in verse 69, it reads, Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Nazareth, she said. Now, I'm impressed that Peter was even there in the first place. Apparently, all his fellow disciples had fled out of fear, but he has put himself in the jaws of the enemy. And this servant girl is questioning, hey, hey, Aren't you one of them? You look familiar to me here. And verse 70 says, but he denied it before them all. 
I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, when you choose to lie, you create a tangled web that can entrap you. Reader's Digest told of a man in Southfield, Michigan, who gave his secretary a ride home from work. She had had too much to drink at an office reception in the afternoon, and she was in no state to drive. And although it was an innocent gesture, he decided not to mention it to his wife, who she had a tendency to be quite jealous at times. Well, later that night, he and his wife were driving to a restaurant when he glanced down and spotted a high heel shoe half hidden underneath the passenger seat. Not wanting to be conspicuous, conspicuous, he, he waited for his wife to glance out her side window And the second she looked out that window, he reached down, scooped up the shoe, and tossed it out his open window. And with a sigh of relief, he began heading for the restaurant. A few minutes later, when he pulled into the parking lot, he noticed his wife was squirming around. And she asked, honey, have you seen my other shoe? (laughs) Be sure your sins will find you out. Have you ever been there? I think most of us have. But as we read on in this incredible classic story here now, in verse 71, we see it says, Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. You know, sin is almost always easier the second time. And it almost always intensifies too. Did you notice this time, Peter not only denied Jesus, but he denied him with an oath. I was never with him. I swear to God, he's saying, I don't even know who this guy is. And verse 73 reads, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. You see, the Galileans, and Peter was a Galilean, They spoke with this particular brogue just as people from the Midwest or the North or the South are recognized by their accents. So a Galilean would sound different from most people in Jerusalem. And some of the people in the courtyard noticed this and they kind of called Peter out on it. I mean, come on, what else would a Galilean be doing in the high priest's court if not to see what would become of his Galilean friend. And, you know, people under this moment of intense pressure uh, are going to crumble. And Peter has crumbled morally here, and he's denied that he even knows who Jesus is. And then this last phrase in verse 74 is, is really kind of haunting. It says, immediately a rooster crowed. Immediately a rooster crowed. 
And suddenly, Peter came to his senses in, in a flash, and he remembered the prophecy that Jesus had made to him. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times, Jesus had said. And then he went outside and he wept bitterly. You see, the well had gone dry on Peter's integrity. Now, with Simon Peter's story, this classic story as a backdrop, I wanna present three challenges to help us unpack and apply this story to our lives today. The first challenge would be this, make it your goal, please, please hear me, make it your goal to be a whole person. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. That may sound a bit strange to some of you. Every true Christian should have as a major life goal to be a whole person. That is, a person who's in the dark what they are in the light, that they're the same person in wherever they go. Who we are in public and who we are in private is the same. That's what I mean by a whole person. That is a person of integrity. I was researching this idea this week of integrity, and I, I looked at the Oxford Dictionary definition, and it says, and I want to quote it now exactly as the dictionary puts it. The word integrity, it reads, evolved from the Latin adjective integer, meaning whole or complete. In this context, integrity is the inner sense of wholeness deriving from qualities such as honesty and consistency of character. As such, and this is the phrase that really struck me so powerfully, as such, one may judge that others have integrity to the extent that they act according to the values, beliefs, and principles they claim to hold. Wow, I felt that was really, really good. Am I a person of integrity who acts according to the values, beliefs, and principles I claim to hold? I think that's a question we need to ask. And you know what? The death of George Floyd has raised that question big time for me. For instance, as a biblical Christian, I believe, and I assume you share the same belief as a person of the Bible, a person of the Word, you see, I believe with all my heart that God does not show favoritism to any ethnic group or race of people. He's made that clear in his word, the Bible. Jesus came for both Jews and Gentiles. He came for blacks and whites and for every ethnicity and, and people group on the planet. His death on the cross destroyed that wall of hostility that separated the races. And he has called us all together as one, as one people, as one body. Revelation 7 describes an amazing scene around the throne, the throne of God in heaven. Listen to what these words say, Revelation 7. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes 
and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That is a picture of people from every people group on the planet. And then there's Romans 2, verse 11. It says, for God does not show favoritism. Or consider the witness of Colossians 3, 25. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for his wrong. Here it is again. And there is no favoritism. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, up and out or down and out or black, white, whatever your ethnicity or background, no favoritism. Or how about Romans 10? It says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So since God does not show favoritism and my goal is to be like God, as far as my moral character goes, the question is, am I showing favoritism? If I am, to that degree, I'm not like God, nor are you. And the death of George Floyd is causing me to ask that in a fresh way. I mean, do I have either latent or overt racism in me? What biases do I have toward persons who are different from me? I think those are good questions for all of us to ask. So after George Floyd's death, I I felt it important to search my own heart. As I watched that video of over eight minutes with an officer's knee in Floyd's neck, literally killing him, I want to tell you, I was appalled. I felt sick to my stomach at the injustice and cruelty of it all. And I considered what appropriate steps I could take, knowing full well my actions might not be the perfect response. But I felt that a response is better than no response at all. So I emailed a pastor friend of mine who's black and expressed how I felt and that I'm praying for him and the community he leads and I'm standing with them during this time. And I, I started praying Psalm 139. You know that part where the psalmist says, search me, O God? And I prayed for God to do that, to search me and to show me any ugly racial biases or, or prejudices hiding away in my heart, things I may not even be aware of. And Debbie and I watched a documentary to try and be better informed on some of the history and the issues of racism in our country, just to get a better context for what's happening now and to maybe to understand it a bit better. And then Debbie and I joined some of our friends last Sunday afternoon in a peaceful protest rally and a march in Troy. Now, why did we do that? Why are we taking these actions? We did that because we love God and we love people. We did it because we wanted to make a statement that we don't want any people group to be oppressed by racial discrimination. And we did it because we want to be whole people. We want our behaviors to match up with our beliefs. We want to be people of integrity 
in every area of our lives. Now, Grace Fellowship has many police officers in our church family, and I believe every one of these amazing men and women love God and love people and want to represent Jesus well. But you know, I've observed something through the years. When one crooked preacher acts badly, guess what? It reflects badly on all of us preachers. Is that fair? No, it's not. And when one crooked cop acts badly, unfortunately, it reflects badly on all the wonderful law enforcement officers out there who are doing their job spectacularly well. Is that fair? I don't think so. And that's why I'm, I'm praying for and, and I'm encouraging appropriate reform. And I'm, I'm just optimistic enough to believe we can see it. And these senseless acts of violence, many of which I believe are racially motivated, can be greatly reduced if not eliminated altogether. So the first challenge, are you committed to the goal of being a whole person, a person of integrity? It must be intentional. It's not going to happen by accident. But here's a second challenge. I would urge you to face the fact when the well goes dry on our integrity, it gives people the wrong impression of God. There's a popular bumper sticker that proclaims, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And you know what? Theologically, that is true. It really is. But when it comes to real life human relationships in this world, unbelievers have a right to expect professing believers to demonstrate the values they say they believe. And if people feel they can't trust our character, I mean, come on, why should they trust the God we claim to represent? Our witness and credibility have been compromised at that point. John Wesley made what I've come to believe is one of the greatest statements ever made. He said, our responsibility is to give the world the right impression of God. Isn't that a great statement? Our responsibility is to give the world the right impression of God. And I've thought about that often. So ask yourself a very personal question right now. As people are looking at me, what impressions are they getting about what God is like? Listen, Nothing damages the world's impression of God more than when God's people do not choose integrity. If we don't choose and maintain personal integrity, our public credibility erodes. It pretty much goes out the window. So where is your integrity being tested these days? Where is it being tested? And what should you do about that? God's reputation and the reputation of the church, I wanna tell you, it takes a real hit when we are not whole people, when our private lives don't match our public profession. God's reputation really suffers. Critics come out of the woodwork and say, how do you expect anyone to take you seriously when there's such a huge gap 
between your profession and your practice. And of course, of course, those critics have a point. But that point is even more poignant for leaders. Hey, leaders, and many, many of you are leaders. Women and men out there who lead, who have a significant influence in your sphere of influence, in your organization. If you're a leader today, please listen especially close right now. Integrity, listen to me please, integrity is the key to your leadership. I ran across a quote this week that just blew me away. John MacArthur said, according to scripture, virtually everything that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to character. It's not about style, status, personal charisma, clout, or worldly measurements of success. Integrity is the main issue that makes the difference between a good leader and a bad one. I believe that is absolutely true. So here's a third and final challenge. When the well goes dry on your integrity, or in other words, when you fall down, when you blow it big time, get back up. Get back up. Pastor John Claypool told a story about a cloister of austere monks living in their monastery, which was perched on a mountain high above this small village. And once a monk came into the village to purchase some, uh, you know, necessary supplies, and a villager fell before him with this question. He asked, what do you and your fellow monks do up there in the clouds so close to God? And smiling, the monk pulled the man to his feet and said, we fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get back up. What do you do when you fall down? When your actions don't match up to the values you say you hold and believe, what do you do when you fall down? God speaks through Isaiah the prophet, and he says in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Don't you love that? Don't you love that about God? Listen, God can redeem even our failures for his glory. Now, without a doubt, some of history's most profound leaders were the women and men who humbly used their mistakes to help others. I want you to know today, friends, we worship and serve a God of grace. Our character is revealed less by our success than by our, by our response to our failures. When you fall down, please, please, please get back up. So let's shout it from the rooftops today. We don't have to be perfect to be used by God. 
We don't have to be perfect to be used by God. Hallelujah. But we do need to seek to be people of integrity. And how we respond when we fall is a huge aspect of our integrity. I mean, take take King David in the Old Testament, for example. His moral failures are legendary, but here's what set David apart. After Nathan the prophet exposed his hypocrisy and confronted him, David immediately acknowledged his sins, he repented, and he sought God's forgiveness. And God took this fallen servant. God forgave him, and he restored David and greatly used him in his service. And when you fall down, I implore you, get back up. Psalm 51 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah the prophet declares, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And that's exactly what Peter did in today's story. He fell badly. He blew it big time, but he wept bitterly with remorse over his sin. And God honored Peter's repentant spirit. And Peter learned Peter learned that failure doesn't have to be final. Failure doesn't have to be the end of the story for you, for him, for me, for anyone. Peter went from a zero in the courtyard of the high priest to a hero on the day of Pentecost. And because God forgave him and put him back on his feet, he went on to boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus to anyone who would listen. When Peter fell down, by God's grace, he got back up. David Brooks said, you build your career by building on your strengths, but you improve your character by trying to address your weaknesses. I believe that is absolutely true. So whatever your weaknesses, whatever cracks you may see in the foundation of your life, the Holy Spirit is ready to help you today become a whole person. The Holy Spirit is here right now working in your life and mine to help us be people of genuine integrity. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the example of Peter. I think one of the reasons we tend to love him so much is we can identify so strongly with his failures. We've all blown it. We've all let you down. We've all fallen short of what we profess to believe and value. So help us today. Help us to make a concerted, committed effort to be whole people people of integrity, people whose practice matches up to our profession. And Lord, as you help us move closer and closer to that goal, by your grace, I ask that the world, especially the cynics and the scoffers in our world would take note and they would know that God is real 
because they see a glimpse of his character in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.